Three, two, one. Hey, good morning, Lakeside Church. Woo! Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, my name is Steve Wright. I'm one of the pastors here at Lakeside Church, and it is a pleasure to be here with you guys here today. Um, pastor, that's kind of a weird word. We don't really use it outside of the church context, but um, it really, it comes from a word that means shepherd. And like a shepherd, shepherd sheep, um, pastors get to lead people. And I get to lead Lakeside in some pretty amazing things. And one thing I get to lead Lakeside in is outreach and how we connect to the world around us and what we do and who we partner with. And we get to be involved in, I get to be involved in equipping and empowering you guys to go out. I work a lot with Carl to make sure that you guys are equipped to go do some amazing things. And it is a super fun, fun part of my job. Another thing that I get to do for, and I've been doing this for about the last year, is we have a little gathering that meets over in uh, the block and it's called the family room. As a matter of fact, can we all say hello to the family room? Hello, family room. I got on the big stage. This is great. Um, so it's really cool. Uh, and we, we love that you guys are up here in the big house. Uh, that's what we got call you guys. It's a prison town. We can say that, but um, it, it's all good. It's because you guys are kind of confined and, and restricted in your movement and stuff. But over there in the family room, we can move around. We're a little bit more free. We have food over there uh, during the gathering. Um, but it's not necessarily what people think immediately when they talk about, when you hear family room. So sometimes when we talk about family room, people think, oh, it's just a place for, for small kids to go over there and be a part of the gathering. And that is not the case. We are intergenerational by design. We want to connect all the different generations in what we're doing over there. We think it's important for small kids to be connected with seniors. We think it's important for families to be connected with uh, singles. And it is a fantastic experiment about worshiping God together in community. It's about growing together in community, and it's about living life together in community. So it's been really fun to be a part of, and it's been an honor. And we have some great people over there. You guys are great. Um, I'm going to pop over after the gathering, so don't leave. Um, but uh, I am super excited to be here with you guys this weekend. One, because when I'm over there on Sunday mornings at 1045, I don't get a chance to come over and see your smiling faces. And so there's a lot of people that I haven't connected to in a while. And I uh, just, hello, I'm still here. Uh, so that's fun to be here. And the other part is because I get to wrap up a series that we're calling Downpour. And if you're new to church and you're new to kind of this experience and we're talking about series, that may mean nothing to you. But really what it is, is sometimes we believe that there is spiritual truth, there's truth about the Bible that we need to unpack with you guys, and it takes longer than about a half hour that we get up here to do it. So we'll break that concept up into smaller chunks and we'll bundle them together in what we call a series. Sometimes that series is based on a theme. We take some sort of theme in scripture and we really explore that. Sometimes we take a chunk of scripture and we really dive into that. But downpour is interesting because we are actually doing both. We are taking a chunk of scripture in the book of Romans and we're taking a theme, which is God's grace and love and mercy that is downpoured on us. And it's a pretty amazing series that we're in. There's actually a companion piece to that. Brad's been writing a book. It's called Good For You. You can go online and grab that, lakesidechurch.com, and you can, I know that we have, uh, we've now gone through this downpour series, and it's really what he's got out there is focused in on these first four chapters of Romans, but go on there, check it out, maybe uh, share it with some other people, maybe re-listen to the sermons on podcast, and so to make sure that you're all caught up to speed. Is that cool? 
All right, so we're going to move forward in this, and I want to take a quick couple moments. I don't want to unpack all of this because we have the resource that's the podcast, but um, there's a lot of stuff going on. We're in the book of Romans, and it's written by this guy named Paul. I just want to tell you a little bit about Paul. Paul was kind of a religious nut of the time. He's a contemporary of the disciples, and he's out there, and he's what we would call um, a Pharisee. He called himself a Pharisee, and they had some beliefs that they could, if they were born in the right family, if they did all the right things, they were pretty much perfect, right? And God would love them because they're awesome people. And Jesus shows up and his followers show up and they're creating this movement. And he's not happy about this. Paul's not happy because the message that's being preached now is about God's love and grace and mercy, not rules and law. So he tries to undermine this movement. So he's speaking bad against them. And he goes so far as to start to engage in some physical harm of the followers of Jesus, including the death of one of the leaders. And he, that's what he's doing. And then Paul has this incredible experience with the living Savior, and he converts. He changes his mind and doesn't just change his mind and stop what he's doing, but he changes his mind and becomes a leader within the movement. And he's actually one of the most prolific writers that we have in the New Testament. And he's guiding and teaching us what does it look like to actually change and what does it look like to live this out. And then in the book of Romans, this is a book that's written to a church just like us, just like Lakeside. It's the church in Rome. But there's a little background to the church that I think is important that you guys know. And the background is that you have a church that is full of Jews, right? And the Jews know this, all this stuff about the law. They have all this, these scriptures that they've, they've been studying for their whole lives. And so what Paul is trying to teach them is this is the reason why Jesus is actually who he says he is. So I'm going to take all of your writings and point towards Jesus. This is, this is the man that we're seeking after. And for the Gentiles, he's trying to catch everybody up to speed, right? So it's a really great look at who Jesus is and how um, he affects us and how he, he moves us towards this relationship with God. So that's where we're at. And then last week, John started to unpack this, this new scriptural truth that they have, which is that we receive our righteousness through faith. And that's a great concept, and I just want to unpack it a little bit because this is extremely important. So we have this God, this creator of the universe that is connected to us. He wants to be connected to us. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to walk through life with us. And we do things, we do things that will drive a wedge between us and God. We often call those things in church, we call them a sin, that we commit sin. We do things that separate us from God. So really, in the overall scheme of things, we have God who is the victim of our behavior, of our sin. Our sin causes the damage and causes a rift between us and God. And so God, the victim in this transaction, he says, you know what? I'm hurt because there's not a relationship with you. And so I'm going to provide you a vehicle to reconnect to me. And I'm going to do that through my son, through his death and resurrection. So that's what we have. We have a God who's the victim providing us a vehicle for reconciliation. That just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in our lives. Nowhere do we cause harm to somebody, and then they say, well, here's, here's your path to, to fix this so that we can be uh, connected together. And so it becomes an unbelievable story for us. And in order for us to really soak this in and to take it in and be able to apply it to our lives, we need a believable character where it's played out. 
Because an unbelievable story requires a believable character for it to really soak in and be connected into what I'm doing and experiencing. And what Paul does is he gives us that character in the form of Abraham. Okay? So if you turn over to Romans 4, if you have your Bibles, that's fantastic. Um, if you don't have a Bible, grab one. There's some around you on the, on the seats. If you grab one on the seats, page 782. If you have your own Bible, I don't know. Take a guess. Mine's on page 939. Um, if you have a smartphone with you and you have uh, the Version app, you can download that. We usually have some notes on there, but I didn't know how to put them on. So uh, we don't have notes on there today. If you want notes, I can give them to you. But the passages of Scripture will be there. And if you want to download the Version app because you don't have it and you want it's free and you can have the Bible with you all the time, feel free to play with your cell phone right now in church. It's okay as long as you're not texting. Got my eye. You got to watch you people, right? I can see everything. Okay, so we're in Romans 4. Here's what it says. These are the first three verses. It says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? And remember, we're talking about faith leading to righteousness. Um, if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, not, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So let's take a pause right now. So here we have Abraham. He is our forefather. And it doesn't mean that we're directly of his lineage. We're going to kind of talk into that a little bit. Um, but he, he is the forefather, really, of, of us being here, part of the church, being connected. Um, it's really like our forefathers in, in the U.S., right? So I, I'm not related to any of those guys, but their DNA of peace, uh, liberty and freedom, sometimes not so much peace, right? But liberty and freedom is passed down in our country. That's who we're about. And there are things about Abraham that are passed down through us. The, some of the spiritual truths that we have have come through him. He is our, he's our forefather. But sometimes we can look at these characters in Scripture and we can actually start to project characteristics onto them that aren't there. And those characteristics that we projected onto them can change the way we view our future and how it plays out. And unfortunately, oftentimes we do this surrounding people in Scripture that God has chosen to use to move his kingdom forward. And the tendency is to elevate their status, to become worshipers of those folks that are involved in the movement. Because, and here's, I mean, it makes sense, right? If God used a guy like Abraham to be so impactful in his, in his process, in his kingdom, of course that guy had to be perfect. And he's perfect, and I'm nothing like him. God can use a guy like him, but he can't use a guy like me. It's kind of the process that goes on in our mind. So I want to take just a few moments to talk a little bit about Abraham, because I want to give you a real-life picture of who this man was this person that sometimes we raise up as darn near perfect, okay? So we're first introduced to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. If you want to go there, it's Genesis 12. If not, I'm just going to, let me read it for you. So let me go all the way. See, I have a cheater. It's a ribbon. That, that's what that's there for, right, for preaching and getting the spot. Okay, so Genesis chapter 12, uh, we're going to look at the first uh, four verses. So it says, the Lord had said to Abram, so if you're reading in the Old Testament and you see Abram, Abram is now, is later on changed to Abraham. It's the same person. So don't get thrown off. Abram is Abraham. Um, the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Okay, so that's the first moment that we have, right? I don't know what the relationship between God and Abraham was like. I don't know if they hung out all the time and were chatting. I don't know. Maybe they went to coffee together. I don't know. But this is the only moment that we have to know about Abraham. We first are introduced to him at 75 years old, okay? So there's some things about human character that, we'll use, that we can use to help give us a clue about who this guy is. Uh, so we know that he's 75 years old. And here's a little fact about people. As you get a little bit older, you start to get more solidified in your way of doing things. Would you say that's true? Right. If you don't believe me, ask your kids and they'll tell you, oh my gosh, you just want to do it that way. You're so old. All right. And so <laughs> Abraham is 75 years old. He is dead set in his ways. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Right? That's why we say it because it's true. So you have Abraham. So we don't know anything prior to this moment, but we can look out on his future and make some assumptions on his past. Would you agree with that? Okay, so we're going to do that. So chapter 12, Abraham is given this, given this call to go out, to move forward, to change location, and God promises to bless him, and he promises to curse those who curse him. Like, I, I, I got your back is really what he's saying. We are going to do this together. Trust me. So Abraham moves, goes to Egypt. There's a famine. He takes his family, and they start to move to a place where there's more food, more water, all that stuff. And that area of the world, the Middle East, it was chaotic then, and it's chaotic now. So you would go. They had small tribal leaders that would be in charge of different areas, and they would fight over territory. And, uh, and you didn't know really when you were going from one territory to the next, from one tribe to the next. And it was a dangerous thing to travel. There was no interstate highway system. There was no policing s- services to make sure everybody got from point A to point B. And there was no like razor wire marking the different boundaries of the countries. So you wouldn't even know if you passed from one place into another. So this is the, this is the place where, where Abraham is traveling around. And as he goes, he starts to get scared, and he has some fear. That fear starts to develop into anxiety. And he says, my wife, who is 65 at the time, my wife is super hot. Dude, read it. I didn't make this up. So my wife is super hot. As we, as we travel through, these tribal leaders, they're going to see my wife super hot. They're going to want to take her, and they're going to kill me to get her. So I have a plan. My plan is I'm going to tell everyone that she's my sister, and I'm going to offer her up to them. That way they won't kill me. Okay? Now, let's really unpack that. So you have a husband and wife. The gift, the bond that they have together with, them, with each other is their gift of physical intimacy. Let's be real. This is what's happening here. So Abraham is offering up his wife's physical intimacy to a stranger in order to save himself. He's just turned their physical intimacy into a commodity to save himself. That's what, I'm not making this up. That's this person that we're calling Abraham. Imagine the the relationship between him and his wife, Sarah, after that. What do you think she thought when they were traveling through and he came up with this plan? 
Remember, she had just agreed to move with him. She's going with him. He had to have unpacked this vision that he received from God. The vision that said, I will bless you. I have a future for you. And if anybody harms you, I'm going to harm them. So do you think that when she's um, being, having this plan laid out to her, that she's not saying, Abraham, can't you remember what God told you? Do you really need to do this to me? So we have Abraham that has fear in his heart. Abraham that has anxiety. And Abraham that acts on that fear and anxiety and harms other people. If I look at Abraham and I say he's perfect, I can never be that. But if I look at Abraham and say, I have fear in my heart just like he does. I have anxiety in my heart just like he does. And I have hurt profoundly people around me just like he has. And if God could use him, maybe God could use me. I could follow a guy like that. And I know some of us are here and they said, you know what, I've done that. I've gotten right with God. I've, I've walked alongside with him uh, in grace and love and mercy. But you know what, I messed up. I turned away from God, even though that he accepted me in, and I walked away. There's no way that he could use me now. And we can look at Abraham and say, it's, he's okay, because he's now gotten right with God. Everything's cool, and he's walking stride by stride with God, and everything's awesome in his life. That would be awesome if that were true. But that's not what happened with Abraham. Because later on in the story, later on in his story, when he has to travel again and he go from one place to another, he does the same thing. And he says, in order to save myself, I'm going to give my, my wife to somebody else so they can be with her, to save myself. So I'm going to be honest here. I'm going to admit that I am biased to follow people who are a little bit more like me because I feel like I can be like that. And I can look at Abraham, and I know in my soul, I have walked alongside God, and I have had problems, and I have made mistakes, and I have turned off the path. And you know what? God is always there waiting for me. And if God can be waiting there for Abraham and use Abraham, maybe God could use a guy like me. And maybe God could use a people like us. Because we're an awful lot more like Abraham, he is way more of a forefather than we even want to think. He is just like you. We cannot look at these people for something other than they are. These are people just like you and me that have had an encounter with the great and living God and have followed alongside wherever he's gone. And God has pursued them time and time and time again, just like he's doing with you. And we can do some amazing things together. And that's what we're going to talk about. So we have this idea that we have Abraham who's broken, he's hurting, he's hurting people around him, he's just like us, right? And so he starts to talk about righteousness, how to get in a right standing with God. Really, that's what that word means, righteousness. Sometimes we like to attach the word self to it, self-righteous, and we, that's not a really great connotation in our society. But that means, right, I'm better, I'm good, I'm better than you. But what God's saying is, you're better because of me. Right? That's the righteousness we're talking about. God's given that to us as a gift. We, it's through our faith in him that we receive this righteousness, that we were made right, that we're reconnected with him, that we remove this distance between us. And then he goes and he starts to talk about how we get that. And he says in verse 4, Now when a man works, 
his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. Okay, if you're an employer and your employee has just worked for you for a couple of weeks, right, and you have his paycheck, and you, would you ever present it to him and say, this is my gift that I lovingly bestow upon you? What would your employee do? Yeah, there'd probably some colorful words that we can't say here. Uh, because they earned it. They earned it. You have to give it to them. If you don't give it to them, it's problems, right? You have to. What God is saying here, what Paul is saying that God is telling us, is that if we are doing things to earn that, that relationship with God, if we're doing things to close that distance, we are actually forcing God to bless us, Right? And really what we're doing is the employer-employee, who has the power over that paycheck? Is it the employer? No, it's the employee. They earned it. You have to give it to them. Actually, the law will tell you you have to give it to them. If you don't give it to them, right? They're going to sue you and maybe own your business. You have to give it to them. So it would, in essence, be like us telling God, I'm doing all these things, and so you have to have a relationship with me. You have to bless me. In essence, we're taking away God's sovereignty, right? Sovereignty just means God has control and power over his creation. We're part of his creation. He has control and power over us. But if we do things, if it's all about the things that we do to get into that relationship, if I could come in here enough times to church, if I could sing the right songs and pray the right prayers and read the right books and do all the right things, and God has to bless me, that is saying, God, I am in control of this relationship. We've now just entered into a transactional relationship. It's not a relationship. And you must, you must connect with me in a way that makes me righteous and holy. And that's not what's happening. It's actually the exact opposite. It says that the worker goes on, right, in in verse 5. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. It's about trusting God. It's about being in that connection with him. It's about allowing God to be in his rightful place over us. God is sovereign over us. We are part of his creation. We cannot control him or manipulate him. God is not a cosmic um, uh, uh, Santa Claus that just does whatever we ask. He is Lord over our lives. And that's a little bit weird concept for us that we don't have a, we don't have royalty in our lives, but this person is in complete control over us. And that in itself is a blessing. Here's what David says. If you move on uh, in verses 7 and 8, it says, Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. That's what David says. We just, we ended a series not too long ago about David and about all of the hurt and pain that he caused in the life around him and how much chaos was going on in his family. David sinned and sinned profoundly. But the good news, the gospel, is that God loves us and wants to redeem us and wants to change us and make us whole. And that's a blessing. Notice that David doesn't say, blessed is the person who doesn't have sin. He said, blessed is the person whose sins are forgiven. It doesn't say, blessed is the person who never sinned so they don't have to be covered. It says, blessed is the person whose sin has been covered and forgotten. That's the good news. The truth is, there is no good news unless there's brokenness. There's no good news unless there's some wreckage in your life. 
Now, that becomes a gift. It becomes a gift. It becomes a gift to everyone around you. We often talk about oikos here, which this whole idea of oikos is just this, plain and simple, that there are people around you that you can help to share some hope with, the hope that we have in Jesus, and you can share that with them. The best hope that you can give them is the wreckage of your past doesn't have to stay wreckage, that it could turn into something beautiful, Through your pain, through your anguish, through your brokenness, you can help other people. And you can bring them the health and hope and happiness that you have right here today. But the question is, who is that health and hope and happiness for? Okay, So we're going to move on, right? Because Paul asked the next question. That's the obvious question. Who's this for? And Paul gives that to us. In verse 9, it says, Is this blessedness only for the circumcised, or is it also for the uncircumcised? Okay, so I'm, okay, folks in the family room, all right, I know your kids are around. You can explain to them what circumcision is. So, kids, ask your parents. Don't ask me, right? <laughs> it goes for you guys as well. Like, I see kids already turning. What is that? What is that? Okay, it's, it's okay. Your parents will explain it to you. I'm not going to. But circumcision for them at the time, that was just an outward symbol of what was going on in their heart. It was to say, God is our God, and we're going to show everyone, which is kind of weird, right? Because it's probably something that you wouldn't want to show everyone, I'm just saying. But it's an outward expression of what's going on in your heart. And for us today, in modern terms, it's a lot like baptism. And I'm not saying circumcision is a lot like baptism. So if you haven't been baptized yet, there's no surprises. Like, we're not going <laughs> to, that would be, ooh, gross. Um, but, but it is like baptism in the fact that it is an outward expression of what's going on in our hearts. Okay, so that's, that's what it means. And it means that the folks that are marked, let's say that, are marked are part of, in modern day, we're part of this church. We're part of the church. And the folks that aren't marked are outside of the church. So here's the question. Another question. Under what circumstances was it credited? This is in verse 10. It was, was it before he was circumcised or after? It was not after, but before. So let me kind of give you a breakdown and and tell you why it's important. So again, we first meet Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. Then he has declared righteousness by his belief in chapter 15 of Genesis. And he doesn't get circumcised till chapter 17. So the deal is he's declared righteous. He's declared okay in a right relationship and a good standing with God. He is connected to God. This distance between them is gone in chapter 15 It's actually a little bit earlier, but we're talking about in chapter 15. And he doesn't show the world that that's happening until 17. So really what that means is Abraham is our father while we're here, our forefather while we're here, and our forefather while we're outside. And so that makes us, we have a big responsibility in this. Because what we freely receive, the gift that we freely receive, we're obligated to freely give it. That's where we're at. And so how does that play out for us? Well, it plays out for us here at the church in many ways. Many people come into a church, this church, the church, 
And they come in because they're broken and they're hurting and they've got nowhere else to go. Anecdotally, in talking to people, that's a, the majority of people I talk to that find their way into the church. That's what's going on in their life. Because they've heard somewhere from a neighbor, from a friend, from a family member that you find hope and healing within the church. And so they show up. So first and foremost, the responsibility of the church is to heal people as they walk through the doors. And my guess is in this room that you guys have found healing and hope here at Lakeside Church. The next step in this is to not forget about our brothers and sisters who are outside, who are just waiting to come in and waiting to be connected to this redeeming and saving God. That's the next step. So what do we do at churches? We get equipped. We get equipped. And how do we do that? Sometimes we come in here on a Sunday and we listen to a message. But you may have questions about what's going on. And tell me the truth. Does anybody want to stand up and raise their hand and ask Brad a question while he's speaking? A couple people, right? Pay attention to those. Make them sit in the back. Okay. So not many people want to do that. So how do you get more of those questions answered? There's a great way to do that. Grow groups are a fantastic way to get plugged in and connected and to find out what's going on. Grow groups or small groups or life groups or however you've heard them referred to. It is people just like you trying to learn how to follow Jesus together in community and moving forward to doing it. And I can tell you from my personal experience, the one single most important factor in my spiritual growth and development was being connected in a small group with other men who were challenging me to live this out in my life. And I would not be here in front of you unless it was for other guys spurring me along and teaching what this means. So if you really want to understand what this means and you don't have time in the half hour that we've got on the weekend, because that's a lot of stuff to unpack. It's a big book. We have grow groups that are waiting for you. You can go outside, turn right, and go into the info bar, and you can get plugged in and connected into a grow group today. You can go online at home and peruse some of the grow groups that we have and find one that meets in a place and a time and that's studying what you want to study. That Find it. That is a fantastic way. Get plugged and connected because the church is here to equip. That's our job. To freely give it, we need to get equipped to do it. And that takes a lot of opportunity. Like, it takes a lot of things to make that happen. There are serving opportunities. It takes a lot of people to serve as grow group leaders, to serve in our kids' fest, to serve at Blitz, which is an outpouring of God's hope and love to the community around us. It takes a lot of people to engage in that. But eventually eventually we need to be empowered to move outside of this place and to connect with people who need to hear God's love. We've been talking about this for a while, that the pain is in the family. And we're not saying that that pain in the family is just in that nuclear family. We're saying that the pain is in relationships. That there are people that are hurting for relationships. We've never been more interconnected with each other through the internet and more distant from each other than we've ever been in our entire lives. And people are crying out for real relationship and real wholeness. And you guys have the key. And so that's what we're called to. And all of that stuff happens. And I'm here to tell you at Lakeside Church, we believe that Jesus is the 100%. He is the hope of the world. But he has chosen a delivery system to make that hope known to the world. And that delivery system is the local church. 
If you go into the living room after this, we've got some uh, facts about local church. Did you know that if you're part of a local church, you actually live longer? Super interesting fact, right? Did you know that the people around you are way more likely to be connected to a local church if you ask them than you ever thought? One of the statistics from Tom Rainier, who is a missiologist and uh, just a fantastic writer, he talks about this, and there's one of the facts on the board. Only 2% of people that are church attenders will ever invite someone to church. And more people are likely to come if you invite them than you would think. The local church becomes the hub and the delivery system for hope, and God's blessing to a lost and broken and hurting world. And so at Lakeside, we are constantly looking forward to say, how do we do that? How do we do that better? How do we find places that are extremely broken and hurting that needs God, an outpouring of God's love and blessing? How do we do that? And so we actually were approached by a group who is doing this very same thing in India. They came to us and they said, how can we get, how can Lakeside help to bring hope and healing to a very extremely dark and broken part of the world. And so a couple months ago, we sent Brad out to India to talk about it. He's talked a little bit about um, what's going on with that in his trip, but we are moving forward with that, and it's actually starting to shape everything that we do as far as our missions and outreach. And so I'd love to bring Brad up to talk about, about India and our, our strategy for doing what we're doing is bringing hope to the world. So Brad... Give him a round. Thanks, Steve. Uh, about 29 years ago, I was a youth pastor, student ministries pastor of a church in Scotts Valley down by Santa Cruz. And our church was in the habit of every year they would do a missions conference. So they would bring in missionaries that we supported. They would have things on the walls like we've got out in the, in the living room today. Uh, they would focus on our mission, not just in the neighborhood around us, but in the world out there. And so I got our high school students together that I was responsible for in those days, and I said, hey, you guys, here's a verse that, uh, that, that's from the New Testament, Luke chapter 10. It's something that Jesus said to his disciples. He said, when you're praying, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers out into his harvest field. Or pray that someone among you would go out and serve Christ as a missionary. That's kind of what he was saying. And so I said to our youth group, I'm like, hey, you guys, let's pray together that God would send one of us out into his mission field somewhere. So we all, they're like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. So we all prayed together. Three months later, I'm packing up a U-Haul. Because God said, hey, Franklin, why don't you go? Why don't you go do that? that? You'd be a good candidate for that. I'm like, oh, no, no, I was talking about the high school. No, he goes, no, you, you're the one. And so that's how Lakeside Church got started. God said, Brad and Donna, you guys go and start this church because there's people in Folsom that need to know Christ. There's people in the city of Folsom and the surrounding area that are broken and hopeless and need Christ. And we're like, okay, we're in. Let's go. And we are all the recipients of that grace that God gave to us to be a part of this. We all came in at some point in the journey, and we are recipients of God's grace through his church. So now, fast forward 29 years or so, and now Steve is saying, hey, I want you to go to India, and I want you to maybe think about, you know, church planting in India. And I've been telling people this, that this weekend, and they're like, are you going to India? 
I'm like, well, no, I'm praying that God would send someone from, you know, the, oh, wait, that's where this got me before. I don't think that's where the Lord's sending me. I don't know that that's what's going on. But we are very interested in launching a church in this one village in India. I talked to you about it about a month ago. This one village in India, it is a village that is comprised primarily of commercial sex workers. It's a village that is so broken that moms and dads rent their daughters to other men to service them sexually. And there is no church there. And they need a church because the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. A lot of you, after I got done giving you that talk uh, and that update about India and what was going on there, you said, how do I get involved in this? I want to help make a difference in that. And you're answering the prayer when Jesus said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest. What we're going to do at Lakeside is we're going to fund a missionary in that town. And you want to be involved in that? Uh, you, you can jump right in on that today, next week, this year as we go along. Every year we create a budget, a mission budget. It's outside of our regular giving. You know, we give our offering week by week. That goes to pay the lights and pay salaries and buy umbrellas and, you know, important things like that. And, uh, but every year we create a separate budget. It's, it's called our mission budget. Or I think, I think it's often called the unleashed budget because we're unleashing resources into the world. Every year we create that budget based on how you all respond on these cards that we put together. So there's a card like this in the chair pocket in front of you. It says outreach and extension. And here's what I want to ask of you. If you want to be involved in church planting in India, not necessarily that you're going to go, although we may have some chances for some of us to go on short-term journeys to participate someday. But let's say you want to be involved financially, and you, and you know that generosity transforms a heart, not only your heart, but the hearts of others out there. And you want to participate in that, or you want to participate in other church planting adventures that we're doing, whether it's in Central America, or the southern part of Africa, or West Sacramento, or wherever it might be that we may say, hey, let's start a church here, or we think God is calling us to start a church there. If you want to be involved in that financially, this is how to do it. So I'd love to have you take one of these cards. You can fill it out with your name and address and uh, how much you want to give over the next year. This is an annual journey that we take. And if you want to be involved in that, fill this out. Drop in the offering basket in a few minutes, and that will help us set the budget. We can't set a budget if we don't know what's coming. And some of you will say, well, I'm not, I'm, I didn't really come ready for that today. And so that's fine. I absolutely do not want to coerce you or trick you somehow into, like, doing this. On the spur of the moment, if you want to take it home and pray about it with your family for the week, absolutely do that. Then bring it back next week, filled out. And this is how we're going to cre create our budget to be able to start a church in India and other places around the world this year. I'd love to have you be involved in that because if it's true that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, then it all is also true that the local church is a delivery system for that hope. And it's going to happen with us or without us. God's church is going to rise up and make it happen, and so much better if we get to be a part of it together with him. That's what's up next. Okay, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. We are so grateful to you that you love us, and you have chosen us to be part of your people, part of your kingdom, part of this thing called church. And Lord, we know we're like Abraham. He was not perfect. We know we're not perfect. We know your church here at Lakeside is not perfect. 
but we are called on a mission to bring hope to the world. And Lord, what we're talking about today is one way to make that happen, not the only way, but one way. And we want to engage in it. And we want your church to rise up and do something that would change another part of the world like we have been changed. So, Lord, thank you. Give your grace to us as we give generously to you. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.